Hey everyone, it's Miss Felicia J here and welcome to Love, Life, and a Beautiful Glass of Red Wine. This is the chapter by chapter episode. I started this podcast because of my sons and the questions that they asked me and the profound conversations that ensued. I wanted to broaden their minds, so I suggested that they read some of the books that I love to read and that interest me. Well, that didn't quite work out as well as I planned, so I came up with the idea of a podcast, reading the books that I love, heard about, wanted to read, etc., etc. So here I am reading the books that I feel will inspire my sons, the rest of my children, you, and of course me. If you have any suggestion, e- suggestions, rather, email me at chapterbychapter at gmail.com, and I'll put it on the reading list. This episode, we are reading The Alchemist, by Paolo Coelho, and we are on page 157. All right, so before we start, let's pour our favorite drink. I think that having your favorite drink while you're reading and curling up with a good book is just decadent. So here we go. The Alchemist, starting at page one. 57. The simum blew that day as it, as it had never blown before. For generations thereafter, the Arabs recounted the legend of a boy who had turned himself into the wind, almost destroying a military camp, in defiance of the most powerful chief in the desert. When the simum ceased to blow, everyone looked to the place where the boy had been, but he was no longer there. He was standing next to a sand-covered set Sorry, he was standing next to a sand-covered sentinel on the far side of the camp. The men were terrified at his sorcery, but there were two people who were smiling, the alchemist, because he had found his perfect disciple, and the chief, because that disciple had understood the glory of God. The following day, the generals bade the boy and the chemist's sorry, the alchemist, farewell, and provided them with an escort party to accompany them as far as they chose. They rode for the entire day toward the end of the afternoon. They came upon a Coptic monastery. The alchemist dismounted and told the escorts that they could return to the camp. From here on, you will be alone, the alchemist said. You're only three hours from the pyramids. Thank you, said the boy. You taught me the language of the world. I only invoked what you already knew. The alchemist knocked on the gate of the monastery. A monk dressed in black came to the gates. They spoke a few minutes in the Coptic tongue, and the alchemist bade the boy, bade the boy enter. I asked him to let us, let us, sorry, let me use the kitchen for a while. The alchemist smiled. They went to the kitchen at the back of the monastery. The alchemist lighted the fire, and the monk brought him some lead, which the alchemist had placed in an iron pan. When the lead had become liquid, the alchemist took from his pouch the strange yellow egg. He scraped it from, scraped it, sorry, he scraped from it a silver as thin as a hair, wrapped it in wax, and added it to the pan in which the leg, lead had melted. The mixture, t- mixture to the con- ugh, sorry, the mixture took on a reddish color, almost the color of blood. The alchemist moved the pan from the fire and set it aside to cool. As he did so, he talked with the monk about the tribal wars. I think they're going to last for a long time, he told the monk. The monk was irritated. The caravans had 
had been stopped at Giza for some time, waiting for the wars to end. But God's will be done, the monk said. Exactly, answered the alchemist. When the pan had cooled, the monk and the boy looked at it dazzled. The lead had dried to the shape of the pan, but it was no longer lead. It was gold. Will I learn to do that someday, the boy asked. This was my personal legend, not yours, the alchemist answered. But I want to show you that it was possible. They returned to the gates of the monastery. There, the alchemist separated the disc into four parts. This is for you, he said, holding one of the parts out to the monk. It's for your generosity to the pilgrims. But this payment goes well beyond my generosity, the monk spoke. Don't say that again. Life might be listening and give you less next time. Sorry. The alchemist turned to the boy. This is for you to make up what you gave to the general. The boy was about to say that it was much more that he had given the general, but he kept quiet because he had heard what the alchemist said to the monk. And this is for me, said the alchemist, keeping one of the parts, because I have to return to the desert where there are tribal wars. He took the fourth part and handed it to the monk. This is for the boy if he ever needs it. But I'm going in search of my treasure, the boy said. I'm very close to it now. And I'm certain you will find it, the alchemist said. Then why this? Because you have already lost your savings twice, once to the thief and once to the general. I'm an old superstitious Arab, and I believe in our proverbs. There's one that says, everything that happens once can never happen again, but everything that happens twice will surely happen a third time. They mounted their horses. I want to tell you a story about dreams, said the alchemist. The boy brought his horse closer. In ancient Rome, at the time of Emperor Tiberius, there lived a good man who had two sons. One was in the military and had been sent to the most distant regions of the empire. The other was a poet and delighted all of Rome with his beautiful verses. One night, the father had a dream. An angel appeared to him and told him that the words of one of his sons would be learned and repeated throughout the world for all generations to come. The father woke from his dream, grateful and crying, because life was generous and had revealed to him something any father would be proud to know. Shortly thereafter, the father died as he tried to save a child who was about to be crushed by the wheels of a chariot. Since he had lived his entire life in a manner that was correct and fair, he went to directly to heaven. Where he met the angel that had appeared in his dreams. You were always a good man, the angel said to him. You lived your life in a loving way and died with dignity. I can now grant you any wish you desire. Life was good to me, the man said. When you appeared in my dream, I felt all my efforts had been rewarded because my son's poems were read by men for generations to come. I don't want anything for myself. But any father would be proud of the fame achieved by one whom he had cared for, cared for as a child and educated as he grew up. Sometime in the distant future, I would like to see my son's words. The angel touched the man's shoulder and they were both projected far into the future. They were in an immense setting. 
surrounded by thousands of people speaking a strange language. The man wept with happiness. If I knew that my son's poems were immortal, he said to the angel through his tears. Oh, sorry. I knew that my son's poems were immortal, he said to the angel through his tears. Can you please tell me which of my son's poems are the, these people are repeating? The angel came closer to the man and with tenderness led him to a bench nearby where they sat down. The verses of your son, who was the poet, were very popular in Rome, the angel said. Everyone loved them and enjoyed them. But the, when the reign of Tiberius ended, his poems were forgotten. The words you're hearing now are of those of your son in the military. The man looked at the angel in surprise. Your son went to serve at a distant place and became a centurion. He was just and good. One afternoon, one of his servants fell ill and it appeared that he would die. Your son had heard of a rabbi who was able to cure illnesses, and he rode out for days and days in search of this man. Along the way, he learned that the man he was seeking was the Son of God. He met others who had been cured by him, and they instructed your son in the, main, in the man's teachings. And so, despite the fact that he was a Roman centurion, he converted to their faith. Shortly thereafter, he visited the place where the man he was looking for was visiting. He told the man that one of his servants was gravely ill, and the rabbi made ready to go to his house with him. But the centurion was a man of faith, and looking into the eyes of the rabbi, he knew that he was surely in the presence of the Son of God. And this is what your son said, the angel told the man. These are the words he had said to, he said to the rabbi at that point, and they have never been forgotten. My Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. The alchemist said, no matter what he does, every person on earth plays a central role in the history of the world. Normally, he doesn't even know it. The boy smiled. He had never imagined that questions about life would be of such importance to a shepherd. Goodbye, the alchemist said. Goodbye, said the boy. The boy rode along, rode along rather through the desert for several hours, listening avidly to what his heart had to say. It was his heart that would tell him where his treasure lied. Sorry, where his treasure was hidden. Treasure, rather, was hidden. Where your treasure is, there will also be your heart, the alchemist had told him. But his heart was speaking of other things. With pride it told the story of a shepherd who had left his flock to follow a dream he had had on two different occasions. It told of personal legend and of the many men who wandered in search of distant lands or beautiful women, confronting the people of their times with their preconceived notions. It spoke of journeys, discoveries, book, and change. As he was about to climb yet another dune, his heart whispered, Be aware of the place where you are brought to tears. That is where I am, and that's where your treasure is. The boy climbed the dune slowly. A full moon rose again in the starry sky. It had been a month since he had set forth from the oasis. The moonlight cast shadows through the dunes and created the appearance of a rolling sea. It reminded the boy of the day when that horse had reared in the desert and he had come to know the alchemist. 
and the moon fell on desert on the desert silence and on a man's journey in search of treasure when we reached the top when he reached the top of the dune his heart leapt there illuminated by the light of the moon and the brightness of the desert stood the solemn and majestic pyramids of egypt the boy fell to his knees and wept he thanked god for making him believe in his personal legend and for leading him to meet a king a merchant an englishman and an alchemist and above all for his having met a woman of the desert who had told him that love would never keep a man from his personal legend if he wanted to he could now return to the oasis go back to fatima and live his life as a simple shepherd after all the alchemist continued to live in the desert even though he understood the language of the world and knew how to transform lead into gold he didn't need to demonstrate his science and art to anyone the boy himself that on the way towards realizing his own personal legend he had learned all he needed to know and had experienced everything he might have dreamt of but here he was at the point of finding his treasure and he reminded himself that no project is completed until his, until its objective has been achieved the boy looked at the sands around him and saw that where his te- tears had fallen a scarab beetle was scuttling through the sand during his time in the desert he had learned that egypt that in egypt the scarab beetles are a symbol of god another omen the boy began to dig into the dune and he did so as he did so he thought of what the crystal merchant had once said that anyone could build a pyramid in his backyard the boy could now could see now that he couldn't do do so sorry the boy could see now that he couldn't do so if he placed the stone upon the stone for the rest of his life throughout the night the boy dug at a place he at the place he had chosen but found nothing he felt weighed down by sent by the centuries of time since the pyramids had be had been built but he didn't stop he struggled to continue digging as he, he fought the wind wind often blew the sand back into the excavation his hands were abraded and exhausted but he listened to his heart he had told them to dig where his tears felt as he was attempting to pull out the rocks he encountered he heard footsteps several figures approached him their backs were to the moonlight and the boy could see neither their faces nor their eyes what are you doing here one of the figures at demanded but he was terrified and the boy didn't answer he had found where his treasure was and was frightened as he was frightened at what might happen were refugees sorry um we're refugees from the tribal wars and we need money the other figure said what are you hiding there i'm not hiding anything the boy answered but one of them seized the boy and yanked him back out of the hole another who was searching the boy's bags found the piece of gold there's gold here he said the moon shone in the face of the arab who had seized him and in the man's eyes the boy saw death he's probably got more gold hidden in the ground They made the boy continue digging but he found nothing. As the sun rose the men began to beat the boy. He was bruised and bleeding, his clothes was torn to shreds and he felt like death was near. What good is money to you if you're going to die? It's not it's not often that money can save someone's life. The alchemist said.
had said, rather. Finally, the boy screamed at the men, I'm digging, digging for treasure. And although his mouth was bleeding and swollen, he told his attackers that he had twice dreamt, dreamed rather, of a treasure hidden near the pyramids of Egypt. The man, who appeared to be the leader of the group, spoke to one of the others. Leave him. He doesn't have anything else. He must have stolen this gold. The boy fell to the stand, sand, nearly unconscious. The leader shook him and said, We're leaving. But before they left, he came back to the boy and said, You're not going to die. You'll live, and you'll learn that a man shouldn't be so stupid. Two years ago, right here on this spot, I had a recurrent dream too. I dreamed that I should travel to the fields of Spain and look for a ruined church where shepherds and their sheep slept. In my dream, there was a sycamore tree growing out of the ruins of the sacristy. Sacristy, sorry. Sacredity. And I was told that if I dug at the root of the sycamore, I would find a hidden treasure. But I'm not so stupid as to cross an entire desert just because of a recurrent dream. And they disappeared. The boy stood up shakily and looked once more at the pyramids. They seemed to laugh at him, and he laughed back, his heart bursting with joy, because now he knew where his treasure was. Okay, so this is the epilogue of the book. Um, so I'm going to note that it's the epilogue um, on page 169. So here we go. The boy reached the small abandoned church just as night fell, just as night was falling. The sycamore was still there in the in the sacristy, sacredy, sorry, and the stars could still be seen through the half-destroyed roof. He remembered the time he had been there with his sheep. It had a, it had been a peaceful night, except for the dream. Now he was here not with his flock, but with a shovel. He sat down, looking at the sky for a long time. Then he took from his knapsack a bottle of wine and drank some. He remembered the night in the desert when he had sat with the alchemist as they looked at the stars and drank wine together. He thought of the, main, of the many roads he had traveled in another strange way God had chosen to show him his treasure. If he hadn't believed in the significance of recurrent dreams, he would not have met the gypsy woman, the king, the thief, or, well, it's a long list. But the path was written in the omens, and there was no way I could go wrong, he said to himself. He fell asleep, and when he awoke, the sun was already high. He began to dig at the base of the sycamore. You old sorcerer, the boy shouted up to the sky. You knew the whole story. You even left a bit of gold at the monastery so I could get back to this church. The monk laughed when he saw me, when he saw me come back in tatters. Could you have saved me from that? No, he heard a voice say on the wind. If I had told you, you wouldn't have seen the pyramids. They're beautiful, aren't they? The boy sighed, smiled, and continued digging. Half an hour later, he shoveled some. He sho his shovel rather hit something solid. An hour later, he had before him a chest of Spanish gold coins. There were also precious stones, gold masks adorned with red and white feathers, and stone statues embedded, embedded with jewels. The, sorry. 
the spoils of a conquest that the country had long given had long forgotten and that some conquisitor had failed to tell his children about. The boy took out Urim and Thummimin from his bag. He had only the st- he had only used the st- sorry. He had used the st- two stones only once, one morning when he was at the marketplace. His life and his path had always provided him with enough omens. He placed Urimim and Thummimim in the chest. They were also part of his new treasure, because they were a reminder of the old king, whom he would never see again. It's true. Life is life really is generous to those who pursue their personal legend, the boy thought. Then he remembered that he had to get to Tarifa so he could give one tenth of his treasure to the gypsy woman, as he had promised. Those gypsies are really smart, he thought. Maybe it was because they moved around so much. The wind began to blow. It was the Levanter, the wind that came from Africa. It didn't bring with it the smell of the desert, nor the threat of Moorish invasion. Instead, it brought the scent of a perfume he knew well, and the touch of a kiss. A kiss that came from far away, slowly, slowly, until it rested on his lips. The boy smiled. It was the first time she had done that. I'm coming, Fatima. And that is the end of the book. Um, I trust that you have all enjoyed reading The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho with me. I absolutely have so enjoyed reading this book. The Alchemist is just one of my favorite books, and I'm so glad that I got to share it with you. Um, I want to say that clearly there's no more of The Alchemist right now because we finished reading it. But the next book we're going to read is a book called Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bach. Again, this is a book that um, was recommended to me, a book that I've read, and I really, really, really enjoy it. Um, So that is the next book that we are going to read. Jonathan Livingston Siegel. So I trust that you all so enjoyed reading The Alchemist with me as much as I enjoyed reading reading The Alchemist with you. I trust that it has broadened your mind, that it inspired your thoughts to do different things. Um, one of the things I love about this book is that it um, it reminds me of um, a quote that I know by um, T.S. Eliot. And it's actually literally one of my favorites. And I think this book actually truly embodies the, the quote by T.S. Eliot. And the quote is, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all of our explorations will be to arrive where we started and know that place for the first time. I mean, the boy in this book went all the way to Egypt to find out that what he was looking for was at home all the time and that he has the opportunity now to look at home differently than he did before, as I said, as if it was for the first time. So I love, I think this book really applies to the concept of T.S. Eliot's quote. It's one of my favorites. So that's something I want to just broaden your mind with, maybe inspire your conversations or your thoughts. Maybe it changed your world in some fashion, the book and the quote and understanding the two um, coming together. Whatever it has done for you, I trust that it has served you. 
And remember, everyone, that your fire, your flame, will always burn. Lighting someone else's fire will never diminish yours. It will only create a larger fire. I have so enjoyed reading The Alchemist with you, and thank you so much for tuning in. Tune in to the next episode when we read Jonathan Livingston Siegel by Richard Bach, because that's another fantastic one. So I will see you all next week as we begin... Um, this new book. Have a great day. Have a great week. Take care of yourself and each other. This is Miss Felicia J. Until next time, darlings, be well.